Hey guys, just a quick message here before we get the show going today. This Saturday, April 1st, will be the end of the Camp Ojibwe History Project uh, BRIC program, the Walk of Fame. It's been an awesome program, and it was an incredible gift from camp from the start to offer us the spot to put the bricks and to offer to let us sell the bricks and use the proceeds to fund the project. Because of those bricks, so many of you have been able to not only get yourself or your family member a permanent marker out in the campgrounds at the most hallowed spot of the campgrounds, but you've also been able to invest yourself in the history project. And that is what we really wanted. That's That was the biggest goal of all, was to make the history project belong to all of us. So it's wrapping up on Saturday. This is your absolute last chance. We're not going to sell them again next year. We're not going to sell them again in the future. This is it, your last chance. So if you want to get a brick, go to campojibwahistory.org, click on Buy My Brick, and get it done. Last chance. Here's the show. Attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. Today's guest on the podcast, Scott Dommerhausen. That's right. It's a, t- it's a big show. It's a big get. Scott Dommerhausen right here. Scott and I sat down a few weeks ago at his apartment and had an incredible talk. Uh, Scott was a longtime part of camp uh, from 1980 or so until just a few years ago and uh, worked at camp in various ways, including being there year round for many of those years. So if you know any of the story, you know, Scott's had some rough health issues in the past few years, but it was awesome to go sit and talk with him. See, he's doing pretty well. And, uh, and got some great stories out of him. I'll warn you ahead of time, the sound's a little rough. As you know, if you know Scott, uh, Scott loves pug dogs, and he has a new pug dog whose name is uh, Mackie. And uh, Mackie was very interested in being part of the show. <laughs> so, And uh, Mackie had a collar with some bells on. So you're going to hear the dog sometimes being close by. Um, but it's, it's worth it to ignore that and, and just hear the story. Um, also... I will tell you that uh, there were a couple times where we had some good stories, but I had to, I felt like I had to censor the names because it might be a little too sensitive. So just, you know, when you hear the beeps, you'll know what that's all about. All right. As you can tell, I'm very excited about this one. It's a really fun episode. I think you're going to love it. And uh, if you know Scott, you love Scott, you're going to be, it's going to be great for you to, to hear from him because I know you haven't in a while. So without further ado, here we go. Scott Dommerhausen on the Camp Ojibwa. History podcast. You know the day destroys the night. Night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide. Break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side. Yeah. Please say your name and your years in Camp Ojibwe. Scott. 
Scott Dammerhausen, 32 years. Do you remember what your first year was? Yes. Uh, 1980. Nice. I walked up to the office and uh, I met Mickey. And he said, uh, he welcomed me and he, he said, um, the person you want to talk to is Denny. And his office is around uh, the path there and up in the council's lodge. And I went in and he's dressed in these Apollo Creed type boxing pants and no <laughs> shirt. Truth. 1980. So this is also like six years before Apollo Creed. <laughs> well, I guess not. I guess the, the Rocky Apollo Creed. Do you wow. remember those shorts? I bet you still got them. <laughs> I do. So you go in. That's and so those are the first two people you meet. You meet Mickey, who I'm, I'm assuming was straight laced, classic Mickey, mm -hmm. and then he sends you into Denny, who Correct. seems like an insane person. Mm -hmm. Nice. Uh, how did you even come to camp? Like, how did you end up there to begin with? Um, I didn't want to stay in Madison for the summer, mm. and uh, a couple of my friends had done this before. Gotcha. They went to, one went to Camp Kawaga and the other one went to um, I think which is now Deerhorn. I don't know if Deerhorn was mm. it was the name of Camp Horseshoe or something. You know, uh, Jordy's. Right. Right. And uh, I saw went down to the library, got some addresses sent out resumes and I got several back wanting me to fill out an application and from Ojibwa they sent me a contract. Nice. So I just signed it and sent it back. And I think that's the way, right? Yeah. When I got my phone call I got offered basically tell me in 24 hours <laughs> one way or the other and that was it and off you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you, I mean, did you have a good expectation of what the place was, or was it just sort of, you know it was going to be a summer camp job? Just a summer camp job. Yeah. Um, it was just, uh, you know, it, it was new to me for one thing. I mean, I'd never been to camp. Mm. I'd never really seen a camp except that was on TV or movies like Meatballs and, sure, and stuff like that. And uh, he told me which cabin I was in. It's in cabin 12 with Rob Newman and Mike Nichols. And the kids that year are probably the second most hated group I ever had. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they were, there was only 12 of them. I see. <laughs> they, they were nuts. Nice. Uh, you know, the first, the, the number one uh, camp year was uh, when Annixter was there, Michael and I had to move out after four weeks. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that. I, I've heard that about that crew <laughs> from other people. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, not that we would say any of their names if they were knuckleheads, but that first crew, uh, 
was it partially because you were new, or I mean, had I guess had Nichols and uh, and Rob been there before? Yeah, and were you were the rookie in the room, but Robbie's a relative of Mickey's. I think it's his nephew. Right. Uh, his mom is Riva Schwartz. No, not the, his mom, sister of Riva. His Schwartz. mom, right? His mom's yeah. Riva's sister, right? And uh, they were kind of chilled at first. Mm. They weren't very friendly. Um, and on the other hand, I met Alan Pearl, which I got a, a, I told uh, my therapist that those are probably two of the most important people I've ever met. Wow. So tell me a little bit about those two. Well, I think Al was probably close to 90 at that time, or at least between 80 and 90. Pearl was, I think, a little younger. Uh, but when you watch Denny, you see a lot of Al. Mm. And Pearl could be charming as hell. Her laugh, when she laughed, you could hear it everywhere. And then the kids <laughs> would mock it. And you'd, you'd hear the whole uh, hall just eh, 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 eh. Sure. which was you know, and then she'd uh, even get funnier. But then uh, uh, I, I really liked them because they reminded me of Grandparents, I would have wanted. Sure. I mean, yeah. they were, uh, uh, you know, they'd get mad at you, and Al never got mad at me. Pearl got mad at me several times. Um, actually, Pearl once slapped me. Wow. For uh, she caught me in a lie. <laughs> and I sat there, and my jaw opened. And she said, I did that because I love you. And I said, geez, I'm glad you don't hate me. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, you know, probably 25-year-old you and 75-year-old her. Know, she was a little thing all hunched over, <laughs> and she cracked me, and it hurt. <laughs> it was an open-hand slap, but it hurt like hell. Wow. Um, now, at that time, so by that time, Mickey and Denny are kind of running camp, like the day-to-day, -day, I think, right? And um, I saw it as mostly Denny. Gotcha. Mickey kind of did the uh, he was more like Sergeant at Arms mm. type of guy. Gotcha. But what were um, what were Alan Pearl doing like during the day? What was their sort of Day -day Pearl was always in the office, except in the afternoon. Uh, Reba too, and Sandy, mm. and then they'd go down, sit on the dock if it was nice. Usually, um, they kept busy. Mm. I mean, Al would uh, kind of just wander around, or he'd be looking for Martin. You know finding uh, broken stuff for him to fix. Or sure. Um, and I just, 
you know, I think he called me by the right name maybe four or five times my entire time there. <laughs> Otherwise, he'd say, hey, Longfellow, hey, you over there, Pops, come here. And I knew it was because he didn't know my name. Sure. And I've heard that story from several other people, too. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, they were very, very nice. And it's not that Mickey and Regal weren't nice. It's they were more to themselves. And even back then, I, I didn't think Mickey seemed to enjoy it as much as, say, Denny or uh, Elliot. What was so? Tell me about a little bit about 1980s Elliot because that's before the transition. So he's not an owner per se, but he's been probably the longest running employee except for Denny up until that point, I would guess. Yeah, because he'd sort of been there every year um, since the fifties. He was, you know, living in thirteen, like I uh, suppose he still does now. Or not thirteen? No. Yeah, still thirteen then, right? Yeah, it would have been thirteen because they still had the dance lodge. And, you know, show tunes. <laughs> you know, he's, I'm sure he still does that today. Absolutely. Some things do not change. Mm -hmm. uh, he was always cracking a joke or, you know, picking on you or... Uh, he was funny, but he could get serious, too. Um, He's one of the, uh, I would say, important people I've met also. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, he knew everything. I mean, and I was amazed to find out he was a lawyer and a CPA and God knows what else. Yeah. And uh, they would clear, you know, eight, nine weeks out of a year to, come back so I could kind of identify with that. Sure. Yeah. Even though I didn't have to clear my summers and had nothing to do anyway. <laughs> um, but still, I mean, that someone that a lot of different types of people are willing to suddenly make their summer available to come mm -hmm. be in this place together. Oh, I mean, that's what I did immediately. Uh, I always made sure, my folks owned a, a bowling alley. Oh. With a, we were part owners. And I worked in that bowling alley from the time I was little till well, to camp start, you know. Mm. And then I'd take the summer off. And luckily, bowling alleys aren't exactly the summer uh, sure. thing to do. <laughs> um, but you, you said something really apt there, though, about Elliot. Elliot really is, I mean, of, of the, the handful of people that I could, I feel like I could go to camp and talk about any, any subject seriously and get reasoned advice about. Elliot's right at the top of that list, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Elliot and Denny are the guys that I would go to with things like that. And, and no I matter how much... can't made him that way. Yeah? Yeah, I really do. That's interesting, yeah. Well, you know, he said he was nebbish and nerdy, and to have the balls to keep coming back every year, because, you know, sometimes they get picked on or whatever. And right. I don't... I never asked him if he got picked on while he was there. I think we can definitely say the answer to that is, <laughs> is a yes. Um, well, and then I met Paul walking out of the counselor's lodge with a cigarette. Uh, and I go up to him, and I was going to introduce myself, and he goes, more Jews? And I said, no, I'm not Jewish. 
And then uh, he, he had a sense of humor that way. Um, it was so dry. Uh, I didn't know he had died until the next morning when Denny uh, called a bunch of us into the office. I, I thought maybe somebody, you know, pulled a prank and did something wrong. Sure. Um, but he told me, he said, Paul James died last night. Uh, and, you know, you're just like, oof. Um, and at that time, too, I was also camp shopper, which, you know, helping the office out or whatever. Um, but I don't even know if I told... Denny this, that I went to the hospital to see if I could say goodbye to him. Mm. And they let me in the room and he, st he still looked like Paul. Yeah. Still looked like Whitey. You know? Did you ever meet him? No. No. no he was gone before I got there, but, but that's what I've heard. I mean, he was a pretty pale guy anyway to begin with and smoking like a freight train and so I can imagine that you know even in that situation it probably wasn't different than how he looked walking around yeah. <laughs> yeah. that was uh, um, there was a mood around the rest of the summer that it just wasn't the same mm. I mean I think it's one way if you pass away when you're not there like during the winter or whatever, but to all of a sudden not see a figure you saw several times a day. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's really hard to imagine yeah. what that process is like, for sure. Early on, you're in a cabin. Uh, how long were you in, in cabins, like as a regular counselor? Um, 80, 81... stayed down in the shack and in 87 I stayed down in the shack um, it's because the waterfront director was married and uh, he was there with his wife and that was after Katie had gone to a nursing home or maybe even had passed away by then or whatever mm. but uh, <laughs> the shack is sort of legendary, uh, and for the the men who have stayed there, it's been sort of a a legendary madhouse. You still should have a deer head hanging on the wall. I I'm pretty sure down. that's true. I'm pretty sure it's still there. Uh, so in those cabin years, you, you mentioned you had a, some knuckleheads, but did you have any kids that were like the other way, like were really great, or kids you really connected with? Um. Yeah, you know who was probably one of my favorite kids? was Darren. Mm. But that's also the year that those guys, I, I moved out halfway through. And Darren didn't cause problems. He just instigated. 
I see. He'd get these guys to do something, and then he'd stand back and watch. And you could see either Dennis yelling at, uh, you know, those guys, and over there is Annixter with a smile on his face. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine yeah. that. Yeah, that yeah, doesn't I mean, seem like uh, a stretch. One thing I always like to ask for people who were there for that period of time is about the camp transition, so the Schwartz era to the Rosen era and the, the buying of camp. and what, So as a, as a guy who was a staff guy and a pretty, you know, trusted and, for lack of a better word, high-ranking staff guy at the time through that, um, what was that like from your perspective, like as camp sort of tra- changed hands and everything? Um, I guess the question is, was there any noticeable difference? Or, oh, yeah. or was it all like there was a different, a brand it was new more world? relaxed. You know, when uh, Schwartz's ran it, uh, Dipper showered every day right when you got him up. He either went down to the lake and jumped in or went to the showers. Most of the time it was dip. Um, and I don't remember, I don't think he did that. I definitely remember Pearl or Al with it, but uh, I can't remember uh, Denny doing that. But at that time too, there were really small numbers of camp. Right. So you know there'd be a lot of room in the mess hall, mm. and it was it was quieter. Like I said, more relaxed. And I think the staff turned out to be a little bit different, too. I mean, that's kind of when some of the uh, staff or kids I saw as campers became staff people. Mm, Sure. And uh, you can always tell somebody who came up from being a JC uh, and then being a senior counselor and going to camp too. Right. That they were a little cockier than someone new or somebody else because you know they knew what they could try and get away with. <laughs> That's uh, very most well of the times they didn't make it. But uh, this story you might want to censor. But um, second or third year, it was me. getting towards the end of the year and uh, they all of a sudden this a lot of people don't even know what it is giving a vertical you know what okay. giving a vertical is like a like a cheerleading like a like a jump kind they of a grab thing? the end of their bed oh they're sleeping and push it up and it stays up against the wall. I, I actually just heard someone recounting a story about Dennis Rosen giving them a vertical. Yeah, so, okay, now I know what that is. That's one thing I'm proud of. I never got a vertical while I was there. <laughs> but uh, there was junior, junior counselors were giving it to each other left and right. 
And one night, I, had to, I stayed in, because it was my night, and back with a girl. And, and, you know, I said to him, you get caught, you're dead. And he said, I won't get caught. And then, just the sound of, you know, they were doing it. Yeah. And then my bed was against the window, uh, and I heard whispering. And I don't know to this day who it was. There were two of them. But they came in the door. They, they saw I was awake, but I didn't say anything. And they went up. They each grabbed the side of the bed and went, <laughs> and there was a girl, um, which woke up most of the kids. Sure, of course. Mm -hmm. And there, he even had some camper hide under the other bed so he could watch. <laughs> I can't remember the name of that kid either, but... Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's gutsy. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, you, you make a good point, and, and I've talked about this kind of a bunch. After the transition, when camp did finally start to grow, they needed more staff, and they started hiring guys. They were hiring college guys. They were hiring international guys. Eventually, it's guys like uh, myself and Cody and JT and JD and those kind of guys, too. Um, and, and it does. You're right. It gives a different feel to camp, like it, having more of uh, guys who aren't just the homegrown JC types mm -hmm. gives a different feel to camp. Well, I think that, um, and maybe I'm wrong, you can tell me, but I always felt like you kind of had a kinship with those of us who were that, because you were also not a camper. You would come sort of from outside yeah. and in, so I think you all, you know, you're kind of like the grandfather of, of that crew, you know, like, oh yeah, I did the same thing you boys are doing now, um, 15 years yeah. ago or whatever, yeah. yeah. Um... I think things changed because there weren't as many staff people there. There were more you and me and, yeah. uh, you know, everybody else. Um, and they, they kind of clicked together. Uh, you know, a lot of them... Uh, Fake IDs, mm. you know. First night out, we're sitting in, I think it was Johnny's, and all of a sudden I get five shots in front of me. I don't care if you guys are here, I just can't drink this. And uh, they said, well, drink at least one with us. And so I had one shot and then I gave them the rest. But uh, that was. You know, and they all, I said, let me see your IDs. And they all, you know, had good IDs. Uh, I don't know where they got them, but they got them into the bars. Um, and then, like you said, camp did start to grow. When I first came there, all the kitchen people were females. Mm. So they didn't maintenance guys did the garbage and uh, 
swept the mess hall and stuff. And I think bringing in the foreigners to let them do that probably was a lot better because American girls didn't want to do that stuff. You know, we had, he had a few foreign girls too. Um, but to them, they were working, they were doing that stuff back home. Yeah. Um, from the eastern Ukraine and wherever else uh, they were from. I mean, I, I very few of those guys I didn't like. Yeah. Um, That's a good point. Those the American girls that came thought it was a summer camp job. Yeah, sort of. They were mostly and, from lacrosse. Yeah, and they got there and it was kitchen work and it probably got old pretty quick, I would mm -hmm. imagine. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think the international staff, I do think we also sort of inform them better these days. I, when they come in, they, they know what to expect mm -hmm. that they're doing. I think that's part of it. But but yeah, they were more willing to come to do the job because they got to come spend time in the States and stuff right. like that. Um, speaking of that, so when did you uh, sort of permanently move from being cabin-connected or shack-connected to moving into K Katie's house or what I, what oh, I know is Scott's I house. Moved and into 99. Oh, because Nesper would have still been there, right? So Nesper's still there. Uh, Nesper moved out that year. Gotcha. And uh, actually, he, he kind of stayed there in the summer, but he wasn't working. He was, he didn't want, he didn't want to work anymore, at least at the camp. Gotcha. Um, he wanted more of his summers free, which I can see, if, you know, if you're a teacher and some people like it and some people don't. Um, and I was just getting, actually just divorced that year, so it was a perfect opportunity. I mean, mm. Denny offered me uh, another place, and I told Billy and Barry Schwartz, uh, a few weeks after I first got there in 80. And we, as we were getting the tour, we walked past Katie's house. And she was out on the side of the house sitting on a little stool sloshed in the cement there. And she'd just sit there and she'd actually club chipmunks if she hit them. <laughs> Um, but, you know, we, we said hi to her, and as we were, uh, later on that day, I, I told them, I'm going to have her job one day, and I'm going to live in that house. Nice. And it worked out. Absolutely. So when you took the spot in the house, did that, that automatically was then a year-round position? It was, just, it was all part of the same thing? Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot you can... Do in the winter. Sure. I mean, uh, um, but I was there when packages came and, and that kind right. of stuff. And, and just uh, general caretaking. Yeah, I mean, it, it was nice because you know, for four months out of the year, four hundred people come in and invade where you're at, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they're gone. Yeah. And. That was some of my favorite times. Yeah. Because I could just, you know, I could walk the dogs without having a leash on them. Um, 
you know, it, the silence was just great. Yeah. And uh, um, I liked that house. You know, it was a little dinky, but hell, I've been living with Catherine for five years, so anything was better than that. <laughs> sure, sure. Now, when I got there in 2000, you were pretty much running the show as far as like kitchen ordering. Yeah, and all that's that kind of what they had. That all was that all sort of part. Did that come with that, or had you sort of transitioned into that? When Alan Pearl and Denny or whoever, the next year, Robbie Newman, he was the camp shopper. Mm. Well, he never sent a, a contract back, or he never told anybody he was coming. So. They offered me the job, and uh, you know, I'd have to go into trig sometimes and fix stuff up, and yeah. uh, go to the bank and blah blah blah. Um, and one year, Denny said, "You a new job title, and it's director of food services," and I said. What does it do? I said, same stuff you're doing now. <laughs> but there was more because, you know, I had to go in and I actually went in and picked the stuff out um, mm. right when the trucks came. And uh, trouble is, if uh, I do it at four o'clock in the morning because I couldn't sleep. Yeah. But. Uh, I think that's the first and thing I ever knew like, about you was that Scott goes to bed early. Don't be loud around his house. <laughs> I mean, even before I probably knew your last name, I knew that. Like, after 6 p.m. Lights out. Yeah. Um, and then I, you know, I go through a myriad of different chefs. Mm, sure. You know, there was one that would stay a couple of years. Uh, one that would stay one year. Um, I think there was, well, there was one year the she was there. She got had to be eighty five years old, but she, uh, Helen, and she was the main cook. Mm. Um, but she broke her leg carrying a pot of spaghetti sauce or barbecue sauce to the stove or something. Wow! So she was out. Uh, them and the rest of the staff were all like um, people that lived in town. Mm. Um, Sherry um, and there were girls, girls from lacrosse or whatever, but they did a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, I've heard a little bit about the girls from lacrosse, but rarely have I heard about their cooking. Usually more about their extracurricular activities that yeah. come up. In well, you know, they, they do what they do do now is prepare stuff. Right. You know, there were people who called themselves chefs that, you know. Sure. There was one guy that showed up and he stayed, I think, up until almost post camp or whatever. One night he was, he packed his stuff and. Of course, I was out walking around, and he goes by me, and uh, you know, barely looks at me, and I just said, "See ya," and he <laughs> drove down the road, and, and it, you know, it, 
he didn't win any popularity contests. That, that's for sure. He was just a, and I'm guessing he probably didn't do half the stuff he said he did, because he could only really fix one thing from scratch, and it was something chicken, something. It wasn't that good. Mm. Um, and then the other stuff is, you know, tacos and spaghetti and stuff that, you know, right. any knob could kind of throw together. You just <laughs> have to be uh, organized. Right, exactly. And that, you know, that's what was the one good thing about Catherine that she had good organization. She just didn't have good people skills. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you make a great point that one thing it's easy to take for granted, I think, in the world of summer camps is the kitchen at a summer camp. Right. Like, it's not the first thing you think of when you think summer camp, but it is maybe the most important organizational thing at camp because you got to make sure the kids get fed. you got to mm -hmm. make sure everyone eats. And if you're really lucky, you do it, and the food's good. <laughs> and and uh, I think Camp Ojibwa has always been known for that, going all the way back to the very beginning. But in my years there, I mean, as you said, I saw a few different chefs come and go. I got yelled at by Catherine. Uh, no, didn't. And even and even the early days of Chef Kyle. Now I think Kyle's you know come into his own and kind of figured out how to do it all. But through the time that I was there, in my early years, that kitchen was only running because you were organizing it. Like you were setting the tone for how that worked. Your your ability to organize and get the food there and get what they wanted and sort of. You know, when they did something stupid, kind of give them a little side eye, and they go, "Oh, maybe that's the dumb way to do it." <laughs> I think. Thank I think you. That, I, I yeah. didn't think of myself as that, but. Well, I think that's that's how it works. Like the the people who come. To, I mean, in my experience, and this kind of goes to the whole camp, the guys who love camp and come to camp and do their job and do it well, and don't ask everyone to go, "Hey, look at me, I do my job well," but just do their job well, mm -hmm. end up being the ones who really make the place work. Sure. <laughs> you know. Whether it's, you know, Jim and Bob building, building, like, we have Bob doing carpentry whenever we need it. How crazily important is that in a boys' summer camp where every building is made out of wood? <laughs> it's the same kind of thing with the kitchen. Like, it's easy stuff to overlook. Parents never come in and go, oh, my God, the food is the reason I'm sending my kid here. But at the end of the day, when I talk to guys 50 years later, the first thing they remember is how great the food is. Yeah. So, it's big stuff. And I think that, you know, you were doing an awesome job all throughout well, the time. I, so, I, I thank kudos you. to you. I mean, uh, you know, Kyle is very good. He wasn't as organized as Catherine. Mm -hmm. Like I said, Catherine didn't have people skills. And, you know, I'd help him try and do whatever, you know, he needed. Um, and there were some times that he kind of just decided to do whatever. And, sure. You know, then he'd come to me, why are we having this? And I said, Talk to Kyle. <laughs> um, chefs will be chefs, of yeah. course. <laughs> but I'm sure, you know, I've talked to Jim every now and then when he's walking his dog in the park back here. Mm. Uh, he said the, the food was uh, was very good. Um, and he was, he was very good. Um, some of the meals he turned out for him and George were my God, you go to a five-star restaurant for some of that stuff. Sure. Uh, one thing that came with the early morning hours was that you had a knack for knowing everything that was happening at camp. 
even well, rival you know, Dennis Rosen's because I'm wandering around and <laughs> right. you're seeing everything that happens. You're waking up with every drunk guy sloshing their way home or trying to yeah. have their girlfriend get in the car in the parking lot and stuff. And so. You know, on the way home from Triggs, I'd see the counselor pulled over by the cops and, you know, uh, obviously he was going to go to jail or whatever and uh, I'd go back, I'd wake up Elliot and tell him and uh, he either let it go or he went and helped out where he could. Yeah. I mean, I remember uh, uh, one year some kids uh, from cabin six took the candy room door off the hinges and took a whole bunch of candy. whole bunch of candy. And uh, they thought they'd be funny and put the empty boxes and stuff in cabin sevens. Uh, yeah, clever. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, they didn't see me standing over by the, you know, arts and crafts building or whatever. So, you know, uh, I told Denny and I remember he called them all to the office and uh, you could... You, you saw in their faces that, you know, oh, we're nabbed. <laughs> they took the whole door off the edges. That's... Yeah. I mean, it, it used to be where they'd just slice the right. uh, screen or uh, climb in the windows before we nailed them all shut. There was one kid you told me about and about being at Triggs and uh, Lane. Oh, driving to town and... I uh, see a couple of people on bicycles, and it was still, it wasn't as early as 4 o'clock, but it was, um, the sun was just kind of coming out. <laughs> and I get up to him, and that's, I got up to him in the Triggs parking lot, and I honked the horn and stopped the car and yelled, you know, what are you idiots up to? And so they bolted. Uh, right into Triggs, and I was chasing him around Triggs for five minutes. <laughs> and, you know, I finally caught him, and I, I bitched him out, and I said, you know, what if you guys got killed? There would be no more camp, you know? Yeah. But, you know, they were... Uh, it's hard to describe somebody like that. But... Uh, uh, I came back, actually, I, I took their bikes and threw them back in the Suburban, and then uh, all of a sudden the car comes up and back, and it's David Rosen and Miles and one or two others. But, you know, they were going golfing. <laughs> uh, so they said, what'd you do? And I said, I found these guys. They rode their bikes to town. And David went over and, and said, boy, you're going to piss my dad off for no reason. And, uh, and so I took him back to camp, and I knocked on Denny's door. And, uh, he wasn't up yet, but I kind of yelled through the door what I had uh, found and done. And he said, tell him to go sit in the uh, chairs and I'll be out in a minute. And 
they were sitting there for at least an hour and a half. <laughs> I mean, he was. Sure, he was taking his was starting, <laughs> and those kids were bawling, and I never could remember the other guy's Louis Lapat mm -hmm. until he made, came one year making that documentary. Sure. And he said, uh, you remember me, don't you? And I said, I do now that I've seen your face. And he goes, yeah, God, I hated that. And I said, I bet you did. <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit about post-camp. So when you took the... When you moved into the house, is that when you started staying for post-camp, or had you no, been staying before No, I stayed the set my second year. Gotcha. Um, stayed in either 13, or if, uh, like, the waterfront director went home, the shack could be open, and mm. uh, they said I could live down there. But early, I mean, there were maybe 60, 70 people there and I'm probably exaggerating. They were mostly Al and Pearl's friends or whatever. And uh, I remember John Michaelon's grandmother and grandfather were always there. She smoked like a chimney. That's when smoking was allowed uh, at camp in the cafeteria. Uh, oh, oh. Mess hall. And they each wore velvet jumpsuits. And she, I, she was, they were pretty old to begin with. Um, but, uh, you know, you could hear her over Pearl a lot. Because she'd call everybody doll. Hey, doll. And, uh, you know, there were... I think that's how it started, is Al and Pearl just invited some people to stay, and then it kind of, it grew into uh, camp. Yeah. And back then, we would just wait the tables, but we weren't allowed to keep the tips then. Oh, I see. Yeah, so, um, actually, we got, we got paid $25 a week for being there from Al and Pearl. Hmm. But did you have to do anything other than wait tables? Would you, was the rest of your day pretty much free? Or? Um, no, there was still some stuff like pulling them skiing. Oh, sure. Um, I had a lot of my time free because, uh, you know, somebody had to go get something. I'd quick have to run into town for, you know. Uh, Auto? Auto. Yeah. Otto and his kids, are, uh, you know, I'd be running for them all the time, too. Nice. And I remember one thing about Grandpa Michael on is Robbie Newman, you tell Rob, was always asking him questions about wealth. Hmm. And he had one of those special top-of-the-line Rolex gold watches, you know, Rolex Universal or something. It was like ten grand or something. Wow. And I think he was kind of getting irritated, but, you know, Robbie just doesn't... You could hit him with a brick and he wouldn't, you know, know to stop. But uh, one day, uh, we're sitting in the chairs, 
comes walking up uh, the hill with his wife, and he stops at Rob, and he goes, you know what? I took my watch off while I was going swimming, and it fell over. And I'm not going to take the time to look for it. And they started walking away, and poof, Rob goes down. <laughs> and he is diving for that thing for about an hour. I mean, he couldn't... The lake was, you know, green like it always is, so you couldn't find it. And you couldn't find it because it wasn't there. <laughs> he had just done it to, you know, get, yeah. get him to, you know, stop all this stuff. But uh, he didn't realize that the old guy had lied to him until the next year. So That's he was always cool. asking him, now where is that? Come down and show me where that watch fell. I can just see Rob doing that, too. Yeah. That's hilarious. Uh, well, you know, I, I stayed for post-camp the first year, and then uh, after that, I just I couldn't get enough. I've been, I've been doing fun. it ever since. It, it's it, fun. I've, I've met people there that, uh, you know, that were campers and staff people and, and uh, people I got to know just because they were friends of Rachel's and David's and... Um, yeah, I, I, I miss post-camp. Yeah. I do. I mean, it's, uh, even then, turning back the snack to 9 o'clock or whatever, I still couldn't wake up to get there. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I liked, well, I liked the first week because they're mellow and they really don't expect, you know, a lot out of you. And the second week, there's, there's always a couple people that uh, are either there for the first time or, you know, just a little more demanding than whatever. But then you just learn to, uh, you know, stay away from those people unless yeah. they want something. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's still, and, and first week is still the same, you know, it's the Kramers and it's the, yeah. it's Katz's and, uh. There's a guy by the name of Richard Udenoff. And I don't even know if it, the plaque was it's still in the dad's lodge. Yeah. yeah, he was, uh, he came for a couple of years. And then he got cancer and he died. Hmm. Uh, I think his wife and family came up that year, but I'm not sure. But I, I remember uh, uh, Mr. Kramer getting a plaque up and uh, putting it in there for him, which I thought was very nice because, you know, I don't know anybody that would make a plaque for me and put it in the... Uh, sure. Yeah. You, you 20 times as yeah. many years. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, and, and that's what they were all about. And, you know, you're getting hugs from people you wouldn't expect to get hugs from. You know, uh, there was a woman named, uh, I can't remember the first name, last name was Feinerman, oh, Betty. And she was, you know, just a typical demanding, wanting to do this. And nobody wanted to wait their tables. So, you know, I said I'd do it. 
and you know she, she say can I have some fruit instead of dessert and so I'd go back there and you know rumble through things and bring out a bowl of food for everybody and then it got to be whenever they wanted it hot for Scott um, and then Robbie complained because the people were starting to ask him to go back and get stuff and he didn't even want to wait on them in the first place. <laughs> the, that first year that I did it for him, she came up at the end and she hugged me and gave me $20. Nice. And her kid, uh, Gary, brilliant. Mm -hmm. uh, is he a judge now? Yeah. yeah. Federal oh. judge. Yeah. Um, just unbelievably brilliant. So we're sort of wrapping up, but I always like to, at the end, I always ask two things. The main question I always end, I sort of wrap up with with everyone. I just simply ask, you know, now, after these years and after you had your time at camp, how do you think uh, Camp Ojibwa affected your life? Oh, it, uh, it changed it completely. Because I'm not real close with any of my family. Never have been, really. Yeah. Um, and there's reasons behind some of it and, and whatever else. But uh, that was one good thing that coming to camp did is I always felt that I had a family. Mm. And I still do. And, you know, that gave me, uh, you know, you'd always watch Leave it to Beaver and see what a great thing they had going and blah, sure, blah, blah. Of course, yeah. And, you know, the Schwartzes were very good to me. Rosens were, I can't say enough. Um, I love them all as brothers, sisters, whatever. And I don't know where I would have been if I didn't find that. Mm -hmm. I don't have any idea where I'd be yeah. if I'd even still be here. But uh, yeah, that it's it's probably the number one thing in my life that made a difference. You know, nice. Yeah. And I think that does for a lot of people, but they don't know it or they don't admit it. No, I can see that. I think that you make a really good point about the family, because um, I think I had some of that too. You know, I, I, there's no great tumult in my family, yeah, but, um, but I wouldn't say that I'm overly close to a lot of my family. And and not unlike you, like when I got to camp, the Rosens were suddenly this family that like took me. Yeah. In, I mean, all of camp, but specifically those two, like took me in like I was their own and treated me like that, and it was amazing. And it yeah. it, it makes you remember what that stuff's about. Yeah why some people are so close to family and that kind of stuff. So I think that's part of it. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Um, one more great story? <laughs> I know I, I put you on the spot with I that can't. One. The first few years of camp, you couldn't get away with now. You mm. know, we did stuff that, oh, the collegiate week bench was before that the yellow bench yes. because it was painted yellow 
Um, but one night, um, coming home, uh, Evan Roberts and I decided we were going to paint the yellow bench. <laughs> and we went in and we were drunk. And we went and found some paint. I think it was a red color or whatever, because you really couldn't tell at night. All I knew is it wasn't yellow. So we're laying down there, you know, painting the bench, and people are coming home from bars and walking <laughs> past us. And uh, even... Denny was outside at one point. He didn't come near the bench, but we heard him talking up there. So we kind of panicked, and we only had it three quarters of the way done. I don't even know if he knows I did that. He does now. Um, but then, you know, he wanted to make the yellow bench something other than what it was. Sure. And some of the some of the uh, like Bill Schwartz, they went. Uh, we had lunch or whatever, and they went and they brought him a petition to have the yellow bench turned yellow. I don't think they knew what to do with it yet. Mm. And uh, John Zimmerman mm. got up with a list, and he filibustered in the mess hall. Forgot. 20 minutes, but it seemed like an hour. <laughs> and then I don't know who came up with the idea for turning into, you know, the year's Collegiate Week winner. Uh, but it was, not, I, I, I think everybody wanted the yellow bench at first, but I think it became better mm. after what I did. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Now we know. See, the story is out. Did you know I did that? I don't do that. <laughs> Would you say you didn't if you didn't? <laughs> awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much for this. I, I appreciate you taking the time. We chased our pleasures here, dug our treasures there. Now, hold on, because we're still not quite done. Uh, if you weren't able to tell during the interview, Denny happened to be with me uh, at Scott's place. And after we were finished, Denny wanted to ask Scott something, and it was really lovely. And I thought you guys should hear it, too. So here's that. One of the things that sticks out in our relationship is one of the Schwartz's didn't want, thought it would be in your best interest to leave. Mm -hmm. And uh, they asked me to talk to you about it. And you and I sat down, and you said to me, this is my life. Why shouldn't I be able to decide what's in my best interest? Why is somebody else telling me that? And I felt uh, I agreed with you. So I went back to the Schwartz's, and that's how you got to stay. Yeah, I know. You've told me this story before. That would have been part of it. You know. mm -hmm. I, I didn't know if you'd forgotten it. No, no, I, I, re I remember Because that, that, that you know, locked up his... It never got discussed. Mickey was serious, too. Hmm. Yeah, well, because, because he, was, he was 35 he was, years old at the time. 
he was telling me all year long, you know, you've got to you get on with your life. He was only doing it not because he didn't like you. Just he felt that it was best for you. He didn't. He didn't appreciate your love for the area. He didn't appreciate you know the solitude that it gives you, the opportunity. He didn't. He just looked at it as you're a 35 year old man and you you're at camp and you're alone and. I wouldn't have been that old. Uh, I think you were 35. I was uh, maybe not. 26 when I first came to camp. Yeah, that was in 1980. Uh, right. All right, so you were 31 years old. Okay. 30 years old. So, but I agree with you. It's your life. Yeah. You were doing a good job, and if this is what made you happy. I don't regret anything. Wait, you're supposed to move on from camp at 30? I'm in trouble. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, Scott lived there. And uh, that, they were legitimately concerned about his well-being. They got you. I, I know he did. And uh, I've talked to him about it, not, you know, him wanting to. But I, I said, I, I know you always wanted me to get out there and get out strive for something better or whatever. But he said... I love this place. I can't stay away from it. It gives me... Well, I thought you did great stuff. It did me, uh, gave me a family. Right. Kept me happy. He didn't understand that. Got I laid a few times. Uh... Okay, there we go. Another one in the books, Scott Dommerhausen. It was awesome to see Scott. I hadn't seen him in a couple of years myself. And, uh, you know, some of us, we've been pretty worried about him. So uh, he was doing pretty well. I'm happy to report uh, he's doing pretty well. He's got a great pug. He's got a great apartment. And uh, things are going pretty okay for Scott. So send him some love. As always, if you want to know how to get in touch with the podcast, I mean, you already know how. Why am I even telling you? Email me, Christopher at CampoJibbaHistory.org, or of course, just swing by the website. You heard it at the top of the show. I'll tell you again, the bricks are going away forever. It's your last chance. So if you want to get a brick for yourself, for a family member, for your camper, for your grandfather, any of the above, do it now. Go to CampoJibbaHistory.org, click on it, buy your brick right there. After Saturday, that is it. There will be no more. We will not be doing this again. So don't say you missed out because I didn't tell you. All right. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I got a pretty big basketball game coming up, so I'm out of here.